Hey, Chillingworth listeners, just a quick programming note. Our 12th and final episode of Chillingworth will be released on Labor Day, September 2nd, 2019. We hope you'll tune in. Previously on Chillingworth. On September 29th, 1960, Joe Peel met with Jim Yenzer in room 127 in the Holiday Inn in Melbourne, Florida. Henry Levern, Cliff Powell, and Ralph Clark were sitting around a reel-to-reel tape recorder wearing headphones. The mic's cable ran underneath the carpet, underneath the door into the adjoining room 129, into a connection onto the reel-to-reel tape recorder Levern and his colleagues had set up. Yenzer started to try to get Floyd to discuss the Chillingworth murders. Both of them knew if they slipped and Floyd perceived that they'd been lying their asses off, the celebratory ambiance would transform into something ghastly. Welcome back to Chillingworth. Floyd was one of only two people I've ever met that I would say I could categorize as a stone-cold killer. I believe Floyd could look at you right across the table, smile at you, and pull the trigger on you. Something about the eyes, I guess, just, uh, he, it was like he had no conscience at all. In spite of Yenzer and Wilbur's occasional clumsy delivery, at the end of Floyd's first day in room 127, somehow he hadn't registered that his two friends were deceiving him. So where was everyone else at this point? State Attorney Phil O'Connell and Sheriff John Kirk were in West Palm Beach. Henry Levern and Ralph Clark were in room 129 in the Holiday Inn in the adjoining room to 127. And Joe Peel and his accomplice Don Miles had fled Melbourne to a safe haven somewhere in the deep south. They didn't want to be anywhere near the site of Floyd's imminent murder. So Floyd believed that his two friends were just hanging out, waiting for the moment when Joe returned to Melbourne, after Yenzer informed him that Floyd was a dead man. The delicate element of this entire operation for Henry Lovern and Ralph Clark was this. They did not want to arrest Floyd until he had spewed details of the Chillingworth and Harvey murders to either Yenzer or Wilbur or both men. On the other hand, the longer it took for this to happen, the more nervous Floyd would get and the more likely he was to split, which would create an entirely new challenge. Floyd was an unrepentant murderer who was armed and incredibly angry. And he would be even angrier if he had to leave town without getting his money from Joe. Yenzer described his arrangement with Skeeter to Floyd. I told her that the next time that she calls, to tell him that I called her from Jacksonville, because that's where I'm supposed, my alibi is supposed to be. See, I'm supposed to have help in hitting you. Yeah, no, I'll take it back. Yeah. So, uh, he went on to Jacksonville and checked me into a hotel. Okay. So 
So I called her from Jacksonville and told her that I was delayed, but that everything's all right now. She said everything's finished. Well, now, listen, Don may not be able to read it, but I know Joe will understand that everything is fine. Floyd encouraged both Wilbur and Yenzer to consider moving to Brazil. Realizing that his friends might be skeptical about the idea, Floyd found himself claiming that he had no intention of killing Joe. He insisted that he loved his new life as a law-abiding citizen. It would never return to his criminal ways. At times, Floyd's enthusiastic promotion of Brazil as an earthly paradise seemed to fall on deaf ears. Yenzer had trouble feigning interest about Floyd's astute observation of Brazil's politics, culture, and economics. Floyd's relationship with Nazaré dos Santos, his Brazilian paramour, hadn't changed his feelings about Peggy Holzapple, his wife of four years, in spite of what he was accepting as a strong possibility that Peggy actually was having an affair with Joe. He told Wilbur, that he still loved her with all of his heart and wanted to stay with her. Uh, I, want, I love that woman. I still love her right now. But what I know, I still love with her. That's what, that's what I can't eat. That's what I can't sleep. Yenzer tried to console Floyd about what was allegedly happening between Joe and Floyd's wife, Peggy. Floyd admitted that he was very upset over the development, but he said that he almost couldn't blame her considering what she'd been through. On several occasions, Floyd, Wilbur, and Yenzer marveled at the intense drama that Floyd's arrival had created. This is what Floyd anticipated. Within a day or two, Joe Peel would walk into room 127 at the Holiday Inn, expecting Floyd to be in the grave or at the bottom of a canal somewhere and would be stunned to see Floyd alive and well. Although Floyd had insisted he had no intention of killing Joe, his blood would sometimes boil, and he'd suggest what he might do were he to decide to exact revenge for Joe's betrayal. When he was going to get him out, in, he'd like to get him out in the farmhouse, <laughs> nailing his testicles to the floor, setting it on fire and giving him a rusty knife. Well, Floyd, you know, I've been thinking about this show. we got to get the money from him. If you, you can't go in his house, because then we got the whole family to take care of. And when you start doing that, we got troubles. You know that. In Floyd's mind, the task before him once Joe arrived was to get Joe to take him to the place where he'd stashed all the money he owed him. He considered the logistics that this would involve, which were complicated. Floyd confirmed that Imogene Peel knew nothing of Joe's litany of crimes. Floyd hoped to see Peggy in the coming days, although he was nervous because he knew that she was bent out of shape over the difficult position that he'd put her in. Now he, he sees that you are a threat to his happy life and to his being able to go on and screw other people. See, you're the only one. So now he brings me into it to get rid of you, to erase you. Now I have no doubts he has the same thing in store for me. Now what he has started here, now this is very stupid, but I have no doubts that if he hasn't contacted a guy for me to hit me, that he's thinking about it. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind about that. 
But the minute that you're arrested for that Chillingsworth murder, his life's in danger. Now, as far as the location of the body... I can tell you this much. I mean, I've tried to tell you four different times now tonight. Yeah. That that Chillingsworth business, we have a fucking thing to do with and use it as a fucking impression. Well, if you did, well, I'm tell you this, let me tell you a step further. And I'll swear this by my son. I don't know where the Chillingsworths are, and neither does Joe Peel. He had you, and he'd been doing business with you, and you hadn't screwed him. You'd been involved in some, let's face it, the real big deal. And everybody was perfectly content, but he's got to bring me in on it. Now, I'm a, a disinterested party as far as any of those deals go. Now, that makes me aware of it, although my... If I were to go down to the cops tomorrow and say that Joe Peel told me that, that he and Chillingsworth were involved in the, in the Chillingsworth and and, uh, and the Harvey matter, it wouldn't be worth a dime, let's face it, except it caused everybody a lot of embarrassment. But the point, when he brings me in to kill you, then he's got to worry about me now. I mean, well, he's had faith in me accomplishing things. Yeah. That way. He's got to do one thing, one or two things. He's either got to be killed by somebody eventually, or he's got to go to the electric chair. I'm firmly convinced, because of Joe being smart, that he has some plan whereby if things go wrong for him and he gets nailed, that you're going to the chair. And that's what you've got to find out when he comes in this room. Joe Peel could not put me in the electric chair, Jimmy. I'm, 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 I'm stating this as a fact. You want me to tell you something else, Jimmy? What? You think that by my testimony, if I were Joe Peel, that I couldn't put you in the electric chair, but I'll tell you something. Any judge that tries that case is going to lean over backwards to put the charged man in the chair. Mm -hmm. And you know that. As much as Yenzer tried, he could never entice Floyd into admitting to the Chillingworth murders. He felt much more comfortable confiding in Wilbur, though. Floyd talked over the ebb and flow of his criminal past. Going back to his days in Oklahoma with the Miami Beach scuzz bucket Barney Barnett, the Howe Gray deal, the horrific murder of the 21-year-old moonshiner, Lou Jean Harvey, and of course, the ghastly murder of Judge Curtis Chillingworth and his wife Marjorie in 1955. Because Floyd was uncomfortable with Yender's repeated inquiries into the Chillingworth case, Wilbur assured him he wouldn't talk about the murders while Yenzer was in the room. <laughs> that son of a bitch. I didn't talk Chillingworth to you while he was in here. Yeah. And if you remember that. He's trying to get me to admit something about it. And I keep telling Jimmy. I'm not going to ask him in front of you to anything. I figured that sometime when we were alone, I figured in a car or something. Asshole. This asshole, Joe, talking in front of this Donald. You know this Donald Miles going to get Joe Peel. And he told John's mom about killing work case, too? He well, said he hadn't talked about it in front of, 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 of Ginger. He did. The reason he wants me killed, because I keep coming and shaking him down about the Chillingsworth murders. Well, he don't know any of the details. Jimmy doesn't. I, I sure want, don't know none of the details. Before Jimmy gets back here now, I don't want to talk this goddamn Chillingsworth case. Well, we ain't never Who done it or what done it, how it happened. You know something? I'm going you to know right now more 
about the Chillingwood case than Joe Peel knows. All he knows is that he asked for it to be done. Yeah, well, I the hell he's done with it. It happened. He tried to get me in on a goddamn thing. He I said, why shit, yes, you didn't know that? He tried to get me in on a fucking job before it was done. I... When Henry Lovern and his colleagues heard Floyd finally confide in Wilbur about the Chillingworth murders, they quietly celebrated in the adjoining room. But Lovern knew they needed much more information before it was time to take Floyd down. Although Wilbur and Yenzer's minds were on something entirely different, that is, getting Floyd to talk about his horrible crimes. They listened as he told them stories of his family and his brief married life back in Oklahoma. The more Floyd thought about the reality facing him, his best friend, Joe Peel, had hired another close friend to kill him and believed that that friend was actually going to carry out the murder, the more astonished he was. Not just because it hurt his feelings, not just because he couldn't believe that Joe was betraying him. Floyd couldn't understand how Joe could believe that he was that much of a threat to him, enough of a threat that he had to die. It just didn't make sense. Like, this is the reason I have faith in the fucking man. He's got no right to turn against me. Never. Over the course of the three days that Wilbur spent in the Holiday Inn with Floyd, as much as he might have found Floyd's stories to be colorful and engaging, in the back of his mind, at any given moment, he was preoccupied with his job, which was to get Floyd to tell everything that Lover needed to get on the tape recorder in the next room. Wilbur, Yenzer, and Floyd were in a hotel room, a hotel room that they converted into essentially an open bar. Several times a day, they replenished their supply of alcohol. Primarily Seagram's and Seven, vodka soda, Jack and Coke, and Teachers and Coke, along with other drinks typically consumed by high school students. Among the three men, Floyd was always the most polite to the housekeeping staff and the waiters, who frequently appeared at the door to deliver booze, in three, four, or five square meals a day. Floyd revealed to Wilbur that on many occasions he had prevented Joe from killing people, including Phil O'Connell, Palm Beach County State Attorney, who had helped orchestrate the Holiday Inn operation. Jim, I know about 20 different people at different times that man has tried to talk me into killing. Once Yenzer was out of the room, after a while, Wilbur managed to steer the conversation to the Chillingworth murders. At times, in his zealous effort to disguise his true intentions, Wilbur directed Floyd away from the subject. He did too good of a job on occasion. You told him, now let me finish the story. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Each time the conversation wandered back to the Chillingworth case, Wilbur was able to eke out additional details of the murders. Wilbur slyly guided Floyd's storytelling back to the Chillingworth murders, resulting in a flood of gruesome details, just as Lovern had hoped. I thought Bobby and the boy 
This is the end of Floyd's second day in room 127 of the Holiday Inn. I mean, if I had just got reasonable, just reasonable compensation for all I've done. Let's face it, my boy. Oh, no, bro, I need money now. I'm never, yeah. I don't know if I had money. Yeah. Broke like I am right now. I'm broke. Yenzer tried to convince Floyd not to run, which of course would not have been in Yenzer's best interest. The risks are very, very poor in you trying to run when you know that there's a good possibility that they're going to be after you with murder warrants. Floyd made it clear to Wilbur that his time in the war mowing down Germans in Sicily and North Africa had had a significant influence on his psyche. I got conscience as far as my friends are concerned, but man, if you bring me in a stranger, I'll treat him the same way I treat a German in the time I will get Sicily. After three days of waiting for an accounting, Floyd was singing a different tune when it came to his plans for Joe. Without the money, Jimmy, I'm going to tell you something. If I don't get them, I am going to kill him. Because I got no fucking reason to stay around. Now, I won't kill him right here, no, no, or with you or Jim and Rod in the least. But I'm going to kill him. It might take me a month. Well, it might take me six months. You can't wait that long. Well, I, 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 and it might take me 20 minutes. Forget these horrible thoughts of your goddamn escapades. I can hear that inner sanctum door opening now. If I sleep for tonight, I'm gonna be good. Lead waist tied around people, later before Jennifer. Oh, shit. I'm talking about little things like that and shoot people right through the fucking head and, and go burgling around and drop them overboard and you, you want to lock instead of. Uh, 
wearing a chain. I'm practical. And then you, you get out there and then you got this, got the judge and, and his wife there and, so, and you're going to be, they're going to be a gentleman and they shove and let her go first. They go, ladies first. God damn. I want you to get this business over with tomorrow, that son of a bitch. This was the end of Floyd's third day in room 127 of the Holiday Inn. Floyd planned to head straight for Augusta, Georgia to see Peggy as soon as he'd collected his money from Joe. This man has got to come back today. Floyd and Yenzer developed the logistics for shaking Joe down when he walked into the room. At this stage, Yenzer rose to the occasion and far exceeded Lovern's expectations. Yenzer thoroughly inhabited the character Lovern wanted him to play. The man Jim Yenzer and the character Jim Yenzer. The character dedicated to helping Floyd get an accounting of his money from Joe seemed to have become one and the same. What do you think of this? First off, you and Wilbur are in the bathroom. I meet him at the door. As I say, I want him seated first. Mm -hmm. Oh, I remember where I shot that man. Yeah. Comes in. And uh, we can work out some. Well, you will, you can hear us. You'll know when it's all right. I'm going to then draw down on them. I say them just in case there's two of them. But Indeed. I still got to take the precaution. Oh, yes. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, they're going, in other words, they're going to knock the door. I'm going to open it and come in and tell them to come on in. They're going to come in here and sit down someplace. I'm going to lock the door and put the chain on it. I will be on the door side then. When they're seated, that's when I'm going to draw down on them. Take their weapons, if any. If they got a coat on, I'm going to have them take their coats off. When you make your entrance, and we can work out something grandier about that. It, it'll be spectacular enough without doing anything. I don't get scared of that. But, all right. After this is done, you know what I want to do? Just to prove once and for all. And he's going to be talking for his life, he thinks. No matter what you say, he's going to, he's going to know you're going to bury him. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no question. So he's going to be talking for your life. I and if there's two of them, I and Wilbur are going to take Miles outside and sit him in our car. And you're going to talk to him. And when you signal us to come in, then we can all go over it together. Then we can start comparing stories. After three days, Henry Lovern started to feel that they had all the material that they needed to confront Floyd with. He'd spoken about the Chillingworth murders at length, and they began to fear that Floyd was actually beginning to wonder if Joe was really going to materialize. They wanted to wait a little longer to see what else they could get on tape, realizing that Floyd was running out of patience. And of course they knew that Floyd had a gun. Joe Peel and Don Miles had guns too. And of course, so did Henry Lovern and Ralph Clark, who were in the adjoining room. And give you at least two more shots at him. Okay. You have me killed for that too. I'm surprised. How many times can you die? Because they're having a celebration now. <laughs> they're having a hell of a celebration. What the fuck? It's my wake. Why not? Well, shit, let's have a drink. Over. Yeah. <laughs> 
who will join the waking in, uh, in spirit anyway. I got nothing lucky. I'm just lucky. Chillingworth was created by Texas Crew Productions and Nighthouse Films. It's produced by John Moss, myself, Jonathan Payne, Rick Sykowski, and Brad Bernstein.